0: Well, this is the last lap, and uh, hopefully we finish, make it to the finish line, session 23, the plan is to look at the last of chapter 20 and finish at verse 21 of chapter 22, can you believe it, which involves the kingdom and eternal state. And I could have included in there the uh, epilogue to the book, but uh, we'll look at that in a moment. Last hour, we were looking at these events of the consummation of all things, second coming, squelching of enemies, seizure of Satan, binding him for a thousand years, We looked at the little passage and notice there's this, what, three verses speaking of the saints in the millennium. So there's not a whole lot that John includes. Again, John is assuming that we know these passages we're going to look at. So let's take a quick look. And let me just give you a survey and mainly give you a few passages that emphasize this. And you can find uh, lots of others. In fact, In fact, as you read the passages with these categories, you can fit a lot of these millennial passages into these categories. So uh, the value of this is to see these broad uh, groupings of of passages. Uh, Let's actually start, because we are accused. We'll talk about there are certainly spiritual aspects. The amillennialist accuses us as being crashly. uh, What's the word? crassly uh, literal and materialistic, to see all these materialistic features of the kingdom and overly uh, literal, Uh, so they accuse us of neglecting the spiritual, but we don't do that. We acknowledge that uh, there are many spiritual aspects to the millennial kingdom that are prophesied. And let me just give you a few of them. Ezekiel 44, 3, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. In fact, all of those aspects dealing with the new covenant, uh, ideas of regeneration, putting God's word, on, writing it on our hearts, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not only Isaiah, but Joel chapter 2. It will come about after this. That I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, uh, and on and on. Those are spiritual aspects. The day of Pentecost was just an introduction to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The real and ultimate fulfillment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is during the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, So there's going to be an extra measure of spiritual work and activity as a result of everyone being indwelled with the Holy Spirit to begin with, at least. So a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You can add the other passages that pertain to the New Covenant, Ezekiel 36, a passage in 37, a passage in 39, Ezekiel. So I'll let you find them. Uh, we're going to have a special presence of the resurrected Christ in his glory. We're going to look at the resurrected Christ. We're going to see the spiritual aspects of Christ. Uh, one passage, Isaiah 45, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. This was in the kingdom. And all flesh will see it together. And then the verse goes on. Uh, Isaiah sixty six eighteen. The time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. So we're going to see the resurrected Christ. Uh, the word of God is going to spread throughout the kingdom. Habakkuk two uh, fourteen. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah two, three and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he that he may teach us concerning his ways. These are spiritual things, spiritual concepts that will be taught during uh, the kingdom, and there's other passages as well. The passages that pertain to guidance and light during the millennial kingdom, Isaiah 29.24. Those who err in their mind will know the truth and those who criticize will accept instruction. Context, millennial. Great worship, Zechariah 14.16. Then it will come about that any who are left of all of the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king. That's millennial. The Lord of hosts to celebrate the Feast of Booths. There's going to be celebration of feasts. There's going to be worship. There's going to be all of the aspects of worship during the millennial kingdom. Uh, Ezekiel spends, uh, what, uh, Ezekiel 40 through 46 talking about a uh, millennial temple. There's going to be a temple that is built during the millennial kingdom. So these are some of the spiritual aspects. Uh, And there's lots of verses that indicate that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, presence of Christ, word of God, broad and extensive worship, temple observance. Kind of a summary of what I just said. There's also going to be some political aspects. And in terms of political and social, well, let's look at the political first. Uh, These are pretty clear. Uh, The Psalm 2, the entire psalm, As for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Jesus Christ ruling. It's a rulership. It's a kingdom. It's an administration. There's going to be a political... Uh, a pure and uh, righteous and sinless political structure that Jesus Christ establishes. Jeremiah 3.17 At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. In other words, the, the focus of rulership. And all the nations will be gathered to it to Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. And there are several other passages. All of the passages that promise that Christ will rule. And there are several of them. And all the passages that pertain to us ruling with him. We're going to be a part of that political system, that political uh, administration. Uh, Daniel 7.27 Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all of the kingdoms under, under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints. The highest one. The saints of the highest one, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. This is overt. This is political. There's going to be a government during the millennial kingdom. It's going to be political. Uh, Israel is going to have a prominent role, just as it's promised. And in fact, the nations will be subject to Israel. Uh, Isaiah 2.4, this is a millennial passage. He will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples and, will, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. So nations are part and they are subservient to Israel, but they're a part of a political worldwide system, except this one is not totalitarian and it's not evil. It's ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There's other passages. There's going to be uh, absolute authority and power. There's going to be righteousness and justice. Isaiah 42.1 He will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, In the court system today, there's little justice, right? Right? I mean, it's it's hard to find justice. Uh, And we live in an unjust world. Things are going to be administered justly in that time. So there's a judicial System that is righteous and just. Uh, universal peace. Uh, Psalm 72:3, let the mountains bring peace to the peoples and the hills in righteousness. So this is, these are some of the political conditions and aspects of the millennial kingdom. Lots of social, went to that pretty quick, lots of social conditions are going to be radically different from the conditions we face today. Uh, for example, a lot of personal things only, first of all, only believers are going to be part of the millennial kingdom at the beginning. Only believers enter. Now, in a moment, I'm going to show you that there's going to be two kinds of believers, but let's just look at the conditions for now and then we'll come back to this. Uh, that all by itself, uh, Our relationships, even as sinful beings, amongst the body of Christ is a lot different than our relationships out in the world. Uh, This is going to be magnified because we're going to be only amongst believers at the beginning in the millennial kingdom. So that's going to have all kinds of social ramifications. There's lots of passages, Isaiah 9, 3, that speaks of great joy. Thou shalt multiply the nations and thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Lots of joy. Lots of enjoyment. Lots of gladness. Uh, Great satisfaction. There's comfort. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. Comfort, O comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended. No more war. Great comfort. That's a, that's a comforting thing to know that you're not going to be threatened anymore. And the verse goes on to describe more. Uh, economic conditions are going to be different. I, uh, Ezekiel 36, 30. I will multiply the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field that you may not receive, or that you may not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Great productivity. Uh, This is physical productivity that has social ramifications. No famine. Uh, no poverty. Isaiah 29.19 The afflicted also shall increase their gladness in the Lord and the needy of mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel because they're going to be provided for. There's not going to be a poverty program because people are pro- uh, provided for. Uh, so great economic ramifications of the kingdom. Cultural ramifications. No oppression. In fact, I've got these all listed here. Economic Cultural, here's an interesting one that uh, we want to look at. Well, first of all, cultural, no oppression, security and protection. Look at Isaiah 26, 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. No threats in the millennial kingdom. You can include Jeremiah 23, security and protection. So, lots of cultural aspects of the millennial kingdom. A growing population. There's going to be babies born. Jeremiah 30, this is a social aspect. Verses 19 and 20. I will multiply them and they shall not be diminished, I will also honor them, and they shall not be insignificant. Their children also shall be as formerly, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all their oppressors. That's a millennial context. Children, multiplied, sin and death. However, <laughs> that's a mis- that, that that's kind of uh, an interesting one. Uh, let's come back to that one. Uh, But just keep that in the back. That will be a social condition. People will still die. There's going to be two kinds of people. Let me just throw it out right now and then we'll discuss it again. There will be resurrected people during the millennial kingdom. You and I, we will not die, we will not sin. But there will also be people that enter the kingdom in mortal bodies. This is indicated by some of these prophecies and some of them are implications. There will be people that survive the Great Tribulation. Uh, my view was that the 144,000 survive. Now, they are celibate. They don't have families, but they will enter, and perhaps they might even acquire families in the Millennial Kingdom. There'll be maybe single women that also enter, and they may have families. This is speculation. But there will be people that survive the Great Tribulation that, in fact, Uh, will be part of the Millennial Kingdom. They'll all be believers. Uh, This little insight here explains the other aspects like death and sin and this rebellion at the end. Because we will have people in mortal bodies, believers at the very beginning, having children, and those children, what? Are they automatically believers? They'll have to be nurtured in Christ, evangelized, And apparently, by the end of the millennial kingdom, by the end of a thousand years, there'll be enough of these children that are born during the millennial kingdom. There might be pregnant women that enter as well. Uh, These children, not all of them will trust in Jesus Christ. And there'll be enough of them that there'll be a rebellion. So that explains a little bit of that passage there. Uh, So these conditions that the Old Testament describes give us a little insight into how to interpret Uh, that last incident at the end of the millennial kingdom. Uh, I'm going to come back to this because there are some physical aspects. So there will be sin of those, uh, even maybe those that are believers that enter, uh, they'll still have a sin nature. So they'll still have a problem with sin. No temptation of Satan because he's bound. So they're not going to be able to blame it on him. Okay, sin and death. These are the only aspects of the curse that seem to not be lifted during the Millennial Kingdom. Eventually, every aspect will be removed, but not these two during the Kingdom. Okay? So here are spiritual conditions. There are political conditions. There are social conditions, uh, if you just study the details of the verse. And there's lots of physical conditions. Physical conditions, uh, for example, the earth and the universe is going to be radically changed. Uh, I don't have Romans 8, but you might turn to Romans 8 real quickly. Notice what it says here. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of the... Paul is comparing the sufferings and saying they cannot be... They're not comparable to a future time. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, he's going to describe when that is. Not specifically, but he's going to describe it in in the way that uh, things will be transformed. For the anxious longing of the creation... In other words, the natural realm awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What is the revealing of the sons of God? That's transformation. That's glorification of the sons of God. Uh, Even nature is waiting for that transformation. Verse 20 For the creation was subjected to futility. That's Genesis 3. The curse not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, God subjected it as part of the curse related to man's judgment. All of nature was affected. In hope, and here's the transformation, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to the second law of thermodynamics. Well, I didn't say that, but that's what the uh, idea here is. If you want to think in Scientific terms. Slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's going to be a transfer, a physical transformation that will take place during the millennial kingdom. Not entirely, because I'm going to give you another verse here. Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And then he goes on uh, talking about other things. But he's talking about a transformation of nature itself. Are you familiar with that passage in Acts chapter 3 where Peter is actually offering the millennial kingdom to Israel in the first century for the final time? What does he call the kingdom in that passage? He uses two little phrases. A time of refreshing is one of them. And I'm trying to, uh, the other one escaped me real quick now. Um, But he uses another term in that passage in Acts chapter 3. He's referring to the millennial kingdom and he's talking about physical conditions, a time of refreshing where uh, uh, the the physical realm is going to be changed. So there's going to be radical changes to nature itself. The whole environment is going to be different. Greater productivity, uh, greater uh, uh, physical well-being of all things. Uh, I put this chart together for another purpose, but there have been radical transformations of nature. In fact, this comes primarily out of uh, 2 Peter 3. We won't have time to look at it. But when God created all things, He created a very good creation. No sin. This is Genesis chapter 1. Everything was very good. And God pronounced it very good. Shortly after, we don't know how long, but very shortly, we have the fall of man, where Adam and Eve first sinned. As a result of that fall, the curse was introduced, where now man dies. Now there's disease, now there's suffering, but the physical realm was also affected. Does that make sense? It was a curse. There's thistles now, there's thorns. Even the serpent was somewhat changed. Uh, Anthropology was changed. The body of women was changed. Men were changed. Uh, The whole process of dying. So anthropology was affected. Biology was affected. The serpent. Geophysics was affected. The curse on the earth. There are a lot of physical changes that were mentioned as a result of what God did in judging Adam and Eve. That world, Peter says perished after the flood, and there's a different world after the flood, there's some radical changes. There's some hints, even in Genesis, of differences between the world before the flood and world after the flood. Peter calls attention to that in Second Peter chapter three. This is what the Noahic covenant is all about. God has stabilized Uh, A period of time from the flood all the way to the second coming. That's how it's relating to this passage here. The creation is awaiting the second coming and even beyond. Romans, Romans 8. Does that make sense? Christ gives us a picture of what resurrection is all about. And when I talk to people that have technical backgrounds, I I ask them to think about what is the physics of a resurrection body? Think in terms of all of the sciences. I I have a chart here. I'm not going to go over it. I think I'll skip over it that I use. I'll get to it in a moment. But at the second coming, we're going to have a radical transformation of all of nature. Another radical transformation. I forgot to mention One of the hints that there's a difference between this world and this world, before the flood, is the ages of people. Remember, uh, the patriarchs were 900, I think Adam, 930 years, I believe, if I remember right. And most of them in that range, in terms of ages. There was one that was only 300 and some, but he didn't die, he was taken up prematurely before he died. And then afterwards, if you've got a science background, you see that there's a decline. If you plot the ages, it's actually what's called an exponential decay curve, which we see in nature very frequently. Uh, From one uh, steady state, if you have a process, whether it's electrical or chemical or other uh, processes, if you have one steady state... And in the transformation from one steady state to another steady state, you generally will have a change that follows that same exponential decay curve. So it's not an accident. Something changed radically. Uh, and the Noahic covenant ensures that this world on this side of the flood is going to be a stable world until the second coming. And then we're going to have some more radical changes. Okay. Okay. Uh, The time of refreshing. What was that other word that I said? Uh, Maybe that's the word I used for the kingdom. Miracles are kind of uh, radical changes on a small scale to show that God can tweak nature whenever he wants to. Uh, I'm going to skip over these. Uh, These are just different areas of science uh, that will be affected by the millennial kingdom. Some aspects of the second law, of thermodynamics, will be lifted. Uh, other things as well. I'm going to skip over that. So there are physical changes, and it's going to be radical. There's going to be radical changes. The kingdom is going to be different physically than what it is today. Uh, that's part of what a God is doing during the tribulation. He's, he's basically wiping clean the earth of sin so that he can res- restore it to a different place. All of the earth will be affected. In fact, all of the universe. Uh, do I have a verse for that one? Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. At the renewal of all things. This is a reference to the kingdom. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. The renewal of all things. Jesus is speaking of that. Oh, the other word in that Acts, that Acts 3.21 passage, uh, that same context, he calls it a period of restoration. He's talking physically. Zechariah 14.11, and people will live in it, and there will be no more curse, for Jerusalem will d- dwell in secure uh, security. Now, not every aspect of the curse, but some aspects of the curse will be lifted. Now, let me give you the, the passage that tells us about death. <clears throat> Isaiah sixty I'm looking for it in my notes here. Yeah. No longer... And it also tells us something else. Uh, a physical property here. No longer will there be in it, this is a millennial passage, an infant who lives but few days. In other words children are going to go back to living eight, 900 years old. In other words, longevity is going to be restored. Uh, the passage goes on, who live only a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred, and one who does not reach the age of a hundred shall be thought of as cursed. And in that context it says, if you're a youth at a hundred, you're still young at a hundred. And if you die, it's accursd. Uh, uh, so there is death, is what this, this passage tells us. Uh, this is millennial, uh, and it also speaks of these physical changes. So that's why I say there's still death, because that's the la- Paul says that's the last enemy. Uh, death uh, in, in what is it? Romans Romans eight? No., First uh, no, Corinthians 15, I'm thinking. So the earth and the universe is, is changed. Animals are changed in the millennial kingdom. Uh, these are the passages where it speaks of the lion laying down with a lamb. If you did that today, you uh, won't have a lamb left. The child will play by the uh, den of the, uh, what is it, the adder. You don't let your children play by snakes today. During the kingdom, no problem. Animals are going to be changed. All of nature, abundant rain, deserts transformed, uh, Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. These are desert places. They're going to be blossoming. Uh, Great fertility, uh, great productivity, abundant food. And there's passages with all of these. Health and healing, Isaiah twenty-nine, eighteen and 19. On that day, the deaf shall hear words of a book. Out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The afflicted also shall increase in their gladness of the Lord. And the needy of mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So lots of changes. Nature, people. So that's those are the conditions that you can expect and a lot more. When you read the millennial passages of the Old all of these are in the Old Testament. When you read those passages in the Old Testament, just pick out. You can see lots of other little details and you can put them in some of these broad categories. You might even come up with some on your own. Well, the saints in the millennium, we have that verse 4 that we looked at. We will rule. It includes faithful Old Testament saints. Uh, We looked at these passages already. The 12 apostles, faithful New Testament saints, tribulation saints. That's in verse 4. Uh, This is the slide I was alluding to to begin with. There will be people in spiritual bodies, so that will include the church. We will be there in spiritual bodies and in some way God will utilize us dependent on how faithful we are right now. There will also be others who are resurrected, these Old Testament and Tribulation saints, including the two witnesses. They will be a part of the thousand years, but they will be a part in resurrected bodies. Putting these passages together, some of the ones that I just mentioned here, There will also be those that enter in, in mortal bodies. In other words, physical bodies with sin natures that have have the capacity to die. People will die during the Millennial Kingdom. These will include living uh, Israelites. Maybe the 144,000, as I said, but certainly those Jewish people that survived the Great Tribulation. This is what that Matthew chapter 25, uh, the first two parables are all about. It's basically a judgment to decide which Israelites enter the kingdom and which do not. The ten virgins that are not prepared, they do not participate. They're excluded from the kingdom. Okay. And uh, who's left that would enter into the kingdom in mortal bodies? It's the last group there. Uh, No, they'll be there. Uh, There'll be some that are born from living Israel, and there's some born from this group. These are the ones that enter. Only believers will be there at the beginning. Living nations. God has a plan for the nations. Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Israel will be prominent, but the nations will be there. Uh, You'll be with people that uh, you're familiar with in uh, Ghana. Your your nation will be there. Godly people will be in the millennial kingdom. Now, you in resurrected bodies, but if Ghana survive the tribulation, they will go in in mortal bodies. Okay? So those are the believers during that thousand years. And all the book of Revelation tells us is that we will reign... And it speaks of the two resurrections that we spoke of. Uh, the first one before, and then there's one after the first resurrection. So just kind of a event-oriented timeline here. Satan is bound at the beginning. We have resurrection of saints. Israel is judged. That's Matthew chapter 25, and some Old Testament passages as well, in Zechariah and other places. The nations are judged. That's the third. Uh, parable in Matthew chapter 25. It's the she- separation of the sheep and the goats. The sheep enter the kingdom and the goats are excluded. The goats are killed. It doesn't tell us, but that's the assumption that we'll make. That's about it. Uh, in terms of the millennial kingdom, all it tells us is that we will reign. That's what uh, chapter 20 tells us. And then we come to this interesting passage at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, beginning in verse 7, "...and when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released." Remember, he must be released. There's a divine plan and a reason for it. "...Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners." Gathered together for war, the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So it's not just a handful of people, it's lots of people. You can't even count them. What do they do? Verse 10 And the devil who deceived them. Wait a minute. Verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. These are the believers that did not rebel. And the beloved city. This is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, there's a lot of passages as well in terms of Jerusalem being at the center of the millennial kingdom. Uh, Surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So it is very short-lived. Interestingly, it uh, alludes to Gog and Magog. It's probably a reference with some background and imagery that comes out of uh, Ezekiel. So there's a final revolt. This is after the thousand years, or at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released. Okay? Who's going to revolt? Well, the descendants of the mortal people that entered the kingdom that did not receive Jesus Christ. So it tells us that man is accountable, and he can't blame Satan, because Satan is bound. It tells us that man can't blame the environment because the environment is basically an ideal environment. So it's just the sin nature of man and the rebellion. And even under those conditions, people are still going to reject Christ. What does this teach us about the nature of man? I think that's one of the main purposes of the Millennial Kingdom. Remember I mentioned the purpose? To demonstrate the depravity of mankind. Not only to show the sovereignty of God, not only to fulfill all of the promises, but to reveal what man is all about. Man, apart from God, is depraved. And apart from God regenerating the heart, man rebels, even in the millennial kingdom. Alright? There's Gog and Magog. Symbols of Soviet Russia in Ukraine. And they have a museum there that kind of memorializes some of the Russian wars of ancient times. Gog and Magog is believed to be in those regions. I just give you these visuals because I have the slides. That's Ukraine. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why Gog and Magog are mentioned. I think it's just drawing from passages like Ezekiel where they have been enemies of the nation of Israel represented as en- enemies, they'll be enemies of the nation of Israel, in fact, enemies of the people of God at the end of the millennium. Probably people that are popular or uh, descendants of people that enter the kingdom that come from Gog and Magog. Okay, And then the chapter ends with this passage dealing with the second death. You could also title that uh, The Great White Throne Judgment. And again, I'm probably stretching the alliteration here. Uh, Probably a better title that is more descriptive is The Great White Throne. I'm using "esses." What can I do? (laughs) I'm bound to my habits. Super White Throne. Good. I might change that. Great. So now we have The Great White Throne. Let's look at the passage. And we don't have to spend too much time on it. And I saw A Great White Throne meaning that this is pure, this is absolutely righteous. So whatever comes out of it is going to be uh, exactly what God desires. And him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found in them. I think that's a description. This is after the millennial kingdom. Uh, I'll let you read Second Peter chapter three, where it talks about the heavens and the earth being dissolved in a fire. I think this is an allusion to that. So the heaven, this the present heavens and the earth, and even the millennial heavens and the earth, are going to be totally destroyed. And it's after that point that I think death is. In fact, we have death here thrown into the lake of fire, and it's after that that there's no curse whatsoever. In the millennial, in the eternal state, there's no, no curse whatsoever, no death. So uh, heaven and, or earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the ju- the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Judgment is on the basis of works. And what we will find out in God's righteous justice, uh, there are no amount of works that are going to be adequate to save men. The only work that is adequate is the work that Jesus Christ accomplished. So no man can stand there and say, well, I did all these wonderful things, so I deserve to be a part. Uh, Jesus is going to show that uh, the standards are too high. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. Now, by this time, the only ones left are the unbelieving dead. All of the believers are in the kingdom. The sea gave up the dead, which were in it. And death and Hades. So death is eliminated here. And even Hades, the place that uh, confined Old Testament uh, people. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the same place that uh, Antichrist and the beast are. Now they're thrown in. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That's eternal death. No chance for repentance. No chance for change. Uh, Another thing the millennial kingdom tells us is that over a thousand years, Satan doesn't change. He's still the same. And verse 15, if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So now, uh, all evil has been dealt with. Satan cast in the... Well, let's see. I, I skipped ten, didn't I? Did I read ten? Notice, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's where Satan is thrown in. I, I skipped the head there. The lake of fire and brimstone. This is hell. This is the, uh, John's description of hell. So now all three of the unholy trinity are in hell and they'll be there into eternity. Evil has been dealt with. It's been done. History is over at this point. There's still a thousand year period of history. that still remains that God is going to do some things different from this age. But God is going to deal with history. And finally, sin is totally confined to the lake of fire and never to have an influence on anyone again. And those that are in the lake of fire remain remain there Uh, where's the little note about uh, this is the second death lake of fire Uh, where's the support here for the eternal nature of that maybe there's passages elsewhere well this is Uh, support for eternal punishment. It's certainty. It's degrees. There's torment there. It's eternality. And there's some verses that support the idea that this goes on forever. The doctrine of annihilation is an unbiblical doctrine. Uh, I'll let you look those up on your own. Uh, What's the afterlife? Uh, Present heavens. Well, I'm going to skip over these. These are just uh, after this life references to different locations the heavens Hades and Sheol these are Old Testament uh, places of the dead we saw references to the abyss in the book of Genesis or Revelation rather Jesus refers to Gehenna with a geographical tie there as an image of probably hell and then we have the lake of fire here which is basically hell uh okay these are just who are there Okay in terms of the book of revelation this is hell the lake of fire satan and demons this is their ultimate destiny unbelievers that's their ultimate destiny destiny heaven this is where god god lives god's abode that's where he presently exists if you will Although he's omnipresent, this will be the ultimate destiny of the believers, the ultimate destiny of the good angels, those that did not sin. Let's uh, skip over this here. That brings us to chapter 21. Any questions on chapter 20, millennium? This is the last item in terms of uh, the sequence of things in the book of Revelation apart from the uh, epilogue. And chapter 21 and 22 are somewhat difficult. There's, there's, there's at least one debate about what is in view in those uh, so, let's quickly look at different views. Some see 21 and 22, at least through verse 5. Uh, beginning in verse 6, we have the, basically the conclusion of the book, or you might describe it as an epilogue. Some tie the millennial kingdom to uh, these chapters. In other words, they would see the millennial kingdom giving these chapters, giving more of a description of what the millennial kingdom is like. But there's some statements in it that seemed out of uh, 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 what's the word uh, not consistent with other Old Testament passages. So I don't think it's an extension of the millennium or, or, or a description of the millennium. Uh, some view that they make a distinction between believers that live on earth in mortal bodies and believers that are still in the kingdom. But chapters 21 and 22 uh, through verse 5 is the habitation of millennial saints that are resurrected. So a distinction is made there. Uh, Probably the best view or the view that I think is more consistent with all the scripture is that what we have a description here of is basically what we commonly refer to as heaven. So I make a distinction between heaven, or eternity, or the eternal state, and the millennial kingdom. And most probably dispensational, conservative scholars uh, see these that distinction. <coughs> uh, these chapters also are very difficult in that they make descriptions with so many comparisons and similes, it's really hard to visualize the conditions. And I think what John is doing is doing the best that he can to describe something that is basically indescribable. We can't, we can't conceive of what it's going to be like, and this is the closest that we can come. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, um, because I don't really have insight any more than what we have these descriptions. And we can talk about possibilities So let's take a look at a broad outline, a structural outline that I give you in your notes there. We have a new creation in verses 1 through 8. There we are. I'm going to skip that. This is just the results of a word study on the word heaven or Uranus. God's dwelling. Let's go back to 21, 1 through 8. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this distinguishes it from the millennial uh, earth, if you will. And certainly the millennial earth is even different from the present earth. This is totally different, and if you factor in 2 Peter chapter 3 and that little illusion in chapter 20 that the present heavens and the present earth fled out. In other words, they are gone. This is a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know if it's a physical, tangible heaven and earth or whether it's entirely spiritual. I don't know that we have a way of knowing. Uh, What we have described is very different from what we are familiar with. So I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. There you go. First heaven and first earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea. So there's no sea anymore. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So we have a new Jerusalem besides a new heaven and a new earth. We have what seems to be a millennial Jerusalem where Messiah will rule and reign during the millennium, this is different from it. This is a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And we probably have the counterpart of some of the visions that John saw. Uh, When he saw the temple opening up, we're going to see descriptions of a presence of God and maybe some of those things will come down out of heaven. Uh, Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Which is interesting. Picking up the imagery that we had in in chapter 19. Maybe this is the consummation of the marriage that would have taken place after the marriage supper. Now we are united with our husband forever to live with him forever in marital bliss. Uh, That's One suggestion of some commentator for verse 2. And I heard a loud voice. So heaven is going to be loud. Uh, Continuing what we've already seen. A loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is amongst men. A form of the temple. A dwelling place of God amongst men. God dwelling directly with men. And He shall dwell among them. This is the Father. We've always had Jesus Christ manifesting the Father, or manifesting God, and now God himself, the Father, dwelling amongst them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away, now we have uh, descriptions here, we wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. In other words, all the things that we have as a result of sin, all of us gone. The first things have passed away. Those things have passed. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. In other words, history is done. I think that's the reference there. I am the Alpha and the Omega. In other words, I'm the Eternal One. I'm the beginning and I'm the end of all things. The beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Some of the imagery also comes from uh, Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2. The garden. Uh, And some suggest there's a tie there as well. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. That's the believer. and And I will be his God and he will be my son. A real close relationship. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all the liars, their part, and Lindsay's done a lot of work on this, and maybe she can give us insight as to what's going on here. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Just a kind of a reminder of where all the unbelievers end up. One of the seven angels, angels again involved, who had the seven bowls. This is the next part here. We have a description of a new creation. Now we're going to have a description of a new city, the new city. Uh, One of the the seven angels, that's verses 9 through 21, uh, who had the seven bowls for the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me. Saying, Come and I will show you the bride. Another vision here. The wife of the Lamb. That's us. We're going to be there. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So there's some sort of a manifestation of a new Jerusalem, a perfect Jerusalem. No curse. And verse 11, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And now we have all of these comparisons to some things that we have some familiarity with, but it's hard to describe something that is indescribable. I don't know that we need to read through all of it. Uh, there's some detail here. I think what I'll focus in on just kind of a gathering together of conditions, totally different environment is described in the imagery there. I've tried to categorize some things here. Everything is better than we, can, we could ever imagine, better than anything that we can experience here, better than the Millennial Kingdom. As good as the million kingdom is. Uh, An emphasis is fellowship. Direct fellowship with God. We already saw a note on that. Uh, An emphasis on illumination. Uh, I think we will continue to learn, but also in a physical or kind of some way related to light illumination, including uh, spiritual light in terms of understanding. Great freedom, no evil. Evil is done away with. Evil is cast in the lake of fire. Evil is done. It's only a biblical worldview that has a solution and an end to evil. Every philosophy, every religion, evil is this part of what is, it's this part of existence. It's only the biblical worldview that has evil bounded. It has a beginning and it has an end. No evil, or at least a confinement in the future. Uh, this is just a gathering together of various pa- uh, passages. A continually a continual cleansing. So nothing contaminated. Continue cleansing. New life at a higher level than we can imagine in terms of spiritual life. No curse. No death. There's partial curse during the Millennial Kingdom from the Isaiah 65, 20 passage and hints in other passages. Uh, these are the conditions of eternity. Lots of activity. Lots of activity. In other words, we're not just sitting on a cloud quietly, serenely. Not only noise, but activity. I think we will continually serve, but... We will serve, uh, it will it'll be without sin, obviously, but it will be fulfilling to serve the God that created all things. Uh, a lot of people get, even today, great pleasure in, in doing crafts or accomplishing something. In fact, once you've accomplished a goal or, or uh, made something, some sort of a craft of some sort, there's great satisfaction in that. Uh, It may have taken a lot of effort and time, but once you've completed it and you look at it and you enjoy it, there's great satisfaction. You're going to have an ongoing service to the Lord that is going to be satisfying and it's going to be a continual thing. So it's obviously a place of great enjoyment. So that's the city, uh, chapter 21, 9 through 21. The focus, beginning in verse 22, is on the citizens... Skip to verse 22. And I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The temple was the whole uh, house the presence of God or a manifestation of the presence of God. God is going to be manifest totally and completely there, so there's no need for a temple building. The Ezekiel temple is millennial, but it's not eternal. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. So we have kings. And in the daytime there shall be no night, for there shall be no night, its gates shall never be closed. No need, nothing to threaten. They shall bring the glory of the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, or no one who practices abomination and lion shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So those are the citizens, or a focus on the citizens. Uh, chapter twenty two some circumstances. and he showed me a river. "...of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month." So apparently there's consumption. Uh, We enjoy eating, (laughs) so we're going to eat fruit. Uh, This fruit is going to be for the healing of the nation, so there's continually renewal... Verse three, here it is: There shall no longer be any curse. Uh, that's the distinction. One of the distinctions between it and the millennial kingdom. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His bond servants shall serve Him. There's the activity, and they shall see His face, and His His name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall no longer be any night. There shall not have any need of the light, it's already re- it's repeating what is already said. Uh, the God shall and the Lord God shall illumine them, they shall reign forever and ever. And then the book concludes, beginning in verse six through verse twenty one. Uh, the epilogue, let me give you an expansion on uh, the structure of these last few verses. And not only will we complete our course in spite of uh, some doubts, but we're going to complete it early. Uh, I'm using W as my alliteration here. We have a warranty, in other words, a guarantee. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. In other words, they're going to be fulfilled. He's referring to the whole book here. These words of the book everything beginning to uh, with the promises to the seven churches everything pertaining to judgment everything pertaining to things like the 144,000 everything pertaining to believers and martyrdom and suffering everything pertaining to the millennial kingdom everything pertaining to the eternal state these are True and or faithful and true words and the Lord, the God of spirits of the prophets, shall shall send his angel to show his bond servants the things which there's the little word again must shortly take place. All of the events that are described here we have kind of a guarantee they're gonna happen. Just final assurance in case you had any doubts whatsoever. And just a reminder, behold, the main thing of what is promised here is Jesus says, I am coming quickly. The second coming is a warranty. It's going to happen. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. A little bit of an encouragement. So that's six and seven, the warranty. Uh, This causes wonderment in John, and I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, here's the second time, which is very unusual, or interesting at least. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. He's impressed with the angel. And he said to me, do not do that. This is very similar to what we saw this morning in chapter 19. Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren. In fact, it's identical almost. Uh, Fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. God is the only and proper object of our worship. So that's the wonderment of John. Next we have an encouragement to watchfulness. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let, In other words, if you're sealed in your depravity, then just go on ahead and go to hell, basically. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous... Now, here's the alternative... Still practice righteousness and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. So be watchful. And then the basis for it, behold, I'm coming quickly. And there's going to be a reward for your faithfulness. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he does. Rewards are based on faithfulness. There are degrees of reward. This is one of the verses that indicates that. He's going to render to every man according to what he has done. And then the assurance I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we can be assured all of these things are going to come about because he's got history uh, in his hands. More encouragement. Blessed are those. Here's another beatitude. Blessed are those. This is the last beatitude. Are those who wash their robes. Now he's talking about us in our present condition. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city outside are dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters. Everyone who loves and practices evil. That's the watchfulness. Uh, we have a warning. Actually, verse 16, let's see. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Kind of an encouragement to John and also to the reader. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. There's austere, by the way. Jesus is the bright morning star. Now we have a warning, and the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Now I guess this is still part of the, the watchfulness. Come. Let the one who hears say, come. In other words, we anticipate, we hope for, we, uh, this is the blessed hope. Uh, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Kind of a law, uh, almost a, an evangelistic call. Then we have 18 and 19 is the warning. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. pretty drastic warning. Don't change the book of Revelation. A warning, don't reinterpret the book of Revelation. Be careful in your interpreting of the book. Don't change the words. Don't add to them. Don't uh, add meaning that's not there. Don't take away meaning that's not there or that is there. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which is which are written in this book. Solemn warning. Um, those that believe that you can lose salvation, uh, this is a key verse for them, and it is a difficult verse, by the way. It almost seems like you can lose your... And, there's the word meros again. Is that correct, Lindsay? Uh, take away his part from the tree of life. Uh, interesting passage. And uh, we uh, have the last words here. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. That's Jesus. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. <laughs> <clears throat> That's the book of Revelation. Any comments? Any uh, questions? I have a few questions really we have time. Do you see that as being fulfilled at an earlier time yes I'm not sure there are some scholars that see it even before this, the seven year tribulation there are some that see it at the beginning and obviously some sometime in between I'm not real sure I haven't exegeted that passage so i, I I'm not sure I can give you any the Gog and Magog during the millennial kingdom seem to be allusions to them. And it, it seems, just to kind of reinforce the idea that the nations remain in their identities. That's why I made the comment uh, to our sister, uh, Um I think in the kingdom, us, gen- well, us Gentiles that are part of the body of Christ, we in resurrected bodies, but those that enter, it seems that they maintain uh, national identities, or at least some relationship. Um, and I think Gog and Magog are singled out as rebellious nations, kind of representative of the unbelieving mindset of still people within nations. Uh, that's the best of why they're, they're, in terms of my understanding of why they're mentioned. just alludes to, to groups of people that we know about in the past we are going to have similar mindsets even at the end of the Millennial Kingdom. And yet, you had another, you had other. Uh, and again and but, uh, talks about inside and outside the city. Uh, I guess, 21 7: power to part the lake of fire. you see that as, as just a back to Yeah, just a reference back, just kind of a reminder in contrast to what we have as believers. you don't see that as a contrast of believers in that state? No. No, I think... In fact, one of the distinctions that I see between the millennial thousand-year kingdom and the eternal state, uh, I think it's during the millennial kingdom that this whole... Uh, what's how do I describe it? Uh, this whole gradation or and differences in role and uh, and uh, reward, because the passages seem fairly clear. Uh, some are going to lose their reward. In other words, they're going to suffer loss. Uh, and personally, it seems the best place that that all that is played out is during the millennial kingdom, whereas what we traditionally call heaven or the eternal state or this new heavens and this new earth, seems like everything in eternity is kind of equalized. In other words, there's no gradation, if you will. So for a thousand years, it appears that we receive the reward and enjoy the benefits of faithfulness and those that suffer loss. Uh, The best that I understand is probably the... The agony and the the heartbreak of knowing what could have been. In other words, I could have served in this position had I been faithful, um, and that would be a heartbreak for a thousand years. Any other questions? This is in the epilogue, so this is outside of. Um, The description here so that's clearly yeah right yeah keep it in context is that it plenty of time to get home huh okay praise the lord Uh, let's pray Uh, let's let's praise the lord uh, Father, I guess we're most impressed that uh, we have studied things that you tell us over and over, things that must take, take place, and then you even warn us at the very end to not tamper with your word. That's a kind of a solemn warning, and we desired that uh, we would be careful and treat your word with not only respect, but with diligence uh, to do the best that we could to try to interpret uh, what you are trying to communicate. And, Lord, as we have learned things and concepts and things that you are going to do and they must take place, uh, make us and motivate us to be people that, in fact, take seriously. I know the people that are here, the reason they're here is they are desiring to be faithful and desiring to take seriously what you called all of us to do. And we just pray that we uh, uh, finish the, uh, the task that you called us to, that we might finish the race and that we might be faithful to the end. And may these things motivate us and encourage us along those lines. So we know that we're utterly dependent upon you and your spirit and your enablement to do that, and even your discipline. And we desire that you will discipline us if we begin to wander. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.